Who are your brethren? This is Rabbi Yitzchak Price with another edition of Tachlis Talks, growth-oriented, partial-related Torah podcasts. And this week we open up the new book of Shmos. Shmos or Shmot, second book of the Torah, and the opening Parsha of the book of Shmos, the Parsha of Shmos itself, is where we meet for the very first time Moshe Rabbeinu, the great Moses, our master Moses. And I'd like to spend a little time today taking a look at the vast array of elements that click together to be this great, great, great Moshe Rabbeinu, this great Moses, um, really contrasting elements in terms of just who he was that really paint a very, very complex picture and may help us understand a little bit about the the, the vast nature of the human being and, and the capacity for us to break out of any one particular box. I'm referring to the following um, elements of Moshe Rabbeinu. So, in a podcast, probably just about a year ago, we talked about uh, Moses, Prince of Egypt, not. And uh, just to rehash for a moment or two some of those elements, Moshe is raised in the king's palace. And hopefully we can talk more about maybe why that's happening in, in a few moments. But he's raised in the king's palace, and yet the Torah tells us clearly that his brethren are the Hebrew slaves. The Torah describes Moshe grew up and he went out to see Echav, his brothers, his brethren. I'm not sure why I keep saying brethren. That's probably not a word we use too often. But for any of you who grew up uh, speaking Shakespearean English or reading any of the older editions of the uh, translations of the Chumash, Cool word, brethren. So Moshe's brethren, his brothers, are the Ivrim, the Hebrew slaves. Very evident in the text itself. How is that? He has not lived amongst them since he was weaned. And when he was being nursed, he was taken back to his mother. Again, clear in the text, after the daughter of Paro finds him, his sister Miriam tells her, I can take him to uh, be nursed among the Hebrews. He's taken back to the Hebrews, and by tradition, Rashi describes he's taken back to his mother, Yocheved, and then eventually brought back to the palace. But So that's when he was two years old, and now he's an adult, and he is going out, and he looks upon the Hebrew slaves as his brothers. What a contrast in terms of the class division. He's coming from the palace, he is being reared with the luxuries that are involved in being raised in the palace. And yet, Achav, Achav, his brothers are the Hebrews. Now, clearly, it is not only he who views his relationship with the Hebrews to be one of, uh, that those are my brethren. Uh, we described back then that Paro clearly does not treat Moshe as his son or as a prince. For when Moshe has killed the Egyptian taskmaster, he has to worry that Paro will kill him. And the text is clear that Paro would kill him. A king ready to kill a prince for killing a lowly taskmaster? For killing a commoner? Can you imagine Saudi Arabian king killing a Saudi Arabian prince for causing the death of maybe a journalist, let's say? Uh, or any other damage that they do? Okay, maybe a slap on their wrist, but is that how kings operate vis-a-vis their sons? A fascinating comment by somebody I know who spent some time talking with um, Mrs. Margaret Thatcher, 
a former Prime Minister of, of England, of course, and she was describing to him how she had come to an event at which the Queen was a guest at this event and realized that she was wearing the same dress as the Queen. Now, I don't know, for some reason I managed to go to all types of affairs wearing the same shirt as the host, but I guess it's a bigger deal by women and by prime ministers and queens, of course, as well. And she was devastated, embarrassed, and she sent a note of apology to the office of the queen as to the fact that in the future she would see to it that she would double-check with the head of the Queen's attire department uh, to secure the fact that she will not do anything of such an affront to the King in the future. The letter she got back was most fascinating. It said, No need to worry. The Queen pays no attention to that which is worn by commoners. This commoner is the Prime Minister of England, and yet, relative to the Queen, you are just a commoner. If the Prince kills a commoner, hard to imagine that the prince has to worry about being executed by the king unless he's not treated as a prince. And again, more discussion back in that podcast about Moshe not being really a prince of Egypt. For our purposes today, Moshe has managed to maintain this perspective that my brethren are the Hebrews. And take this further in terms of the dichotomy, Moshe's personality and then the contrasts. He's the humblest of all men. That is told to us clearly in the Torah. The Anav Mikol Adam. And he is the one who writes those words that he is Anav Mikol Adam, that he's the humblest of all men. And simply said, that means absolutely. Not just within the moment, but he was the absolute he is the absolute of humility, and he can manage to write those words that he is the absolute of humility. He can know that he's the most humble of all men, and be that most humble of all men, before and after having written those words. He has what many commentaries understand to be the status of a king himself within Israel. And interestingly, the Ebn Ezra describes that perhaps Moshe's being raised in the palace is to secure that he will have the traits of monarchy, the, the, the regal nature that comes being raised in that palace. And he will have the capacity to have the, uh, to, to be so, um, such strong conviction and to set, bear such strong authority. And look at this mix that he's able to kill off an individual uh, because he sees him doing something wrong, killing the taskmaster in Ereparsha. Stand up against evil uh, when it rears its head in, later on in the Torah. Yet maintain being that absolute of humility, maintain being there for each individual, this contrast, and again, as Ibn Ezra is describing, being raised in this palace that will have the air, the dignity, uh, the regal nature, the attitude of the monarch without looking down on the commoner, without treating the commoner as anything less than himself, and being there for that Jew who is in trouble, that lowly slave, so to speak, relative to you who is being raised in the palace, Moshe is able to do it all simultaneously. 
powerful contrast. I think in much more contemporary history, one of the great Hasidic Rebbes of pre-war Europe, one of the great Hasidic masters, um, was known for the beautiful pomp with which uh, he would have his entourage uh, escort him while he was um, in a beautiful white horses leading his carriage, and he would always be decked in a manner of nobility, uh, with a strong sense of helping pull up the Jewish masses to have a sense of a kind of a, a reverence and an awe for their leader that would help them feel inspired, and yet had openings on the bottom of his shoe so that he would feel the earth and feel the pain and feel the plight of those who do not have shoes or comfortable shoes. Uh, that absolute contrast between uh, having everything surrounding me provide for dignity and an aura of nobility and a very regal nature, and yet feeling the plight of others and feeling lowly and feeling that, who am I? I'm so small, I don't even deserve to have comfort on the bottom of my feet. This lesson from Moshe hopefully can remind us that as much as invariably in life we're in one box or another, and we are having to play a role of authority vis-a-vis somebody who uh, needs to be put into their place regarding a uh, infraction, uh, an employee uh, at work, or a, a child of ours, or somebody else to, above whom we are technically superior, and we are responsible to have them know that because we are responsible to help correct something that they're doing wrong. And at the same time, being so there for the other, and so equal to the other, that despite whatever circumstances put me in a position of superiority, and uh, and again, parents should not be buddy-buddy with their kids. We do a disservice to our kids when there's no sense of authority, no sense of, of respect. But at the same time, to have the bond of love and the bond of closeness be such that uh, the, there's no distance. Not easy, but we have the capacity to do so. And if we can kind of take to heart that our social status, our title at work, our various positions within community don't block our capacity to have brethren outside of those boxes and our need to be authoritative in a certain circumstance doesn't block our capacity to be humble. And our humility doesn't block our capacity to exercise authority when it's needed. If we can recognize that we are broad, we're big, we're complex, and we can become excellent in each of those regards, we'll be far more likely to successfully accomplish what each of those subparts of our reality are meant to provide and when to accomplish, and we'll be far more likely to successfully achieve Eratachlis.